It's interesting. I was just thinking about like today's message and how much God loves the church, which means he loves us. Everybody's sitting here today. And when you think about the church being called the bride, and you know, when you get married and you think about your bride and you think, I, I could never be more moved and more excited than this day. And then you're a dad. And I can just say, I went through the same thing with my two girls. And, uh, and I remember walking them down the aisle and that this feeling of they have no idea how much I love them. Like they had no idea. And each step you're taking with your daughter going down the aisle, you're like, I just can't believe how much I love her. And uh, this idiot's taking her away from me. You know, that's just, that's just kind of the way it plays out. But think about the church that way, that God, when he calls us the bride, that just tells you the depth of the love that he has for us. And so even when we go through scriptures like we're going to go today, uh, there's no need to go, man, I, I don't know why this would happen that way, or that seems severe, or that seems intense. At the end of the day, God will do whatever it takes to, to reach out to us and show us how much he loves us, okay? So let's turn over to Acts chapter 5, and as you're getting there, and you can either, in your scriptures, we're going to pull it up, you pull out your, your iPhone, your iPad. Um, I want to share this quote. It's by Janet Louise Stevenson, and this is what she said about the word authenticity. Authenticity requires vulnerability, transparency, and integrity. Uh, we know how important authenticity is. It's grounded in genuine trust and honesty. And we know even though today, as we all came here, we may not be perfect, but here's what we all have in common. We know how important it is uh, to lean into relationships that we can trust. Isn't that true? I mean, how important are your friendships? Um, and how important is trust in all of those friendships? And so when we talk about authenticity and being real, at the very foundation is it's this genuine trust and honesty, and that's where we all want to be. That's what today's message is all about. And uh, we're just going to walk through this very difficult text uh, and realize that as you approach a difficult text, and you may want to jot a couple of these down, but I think this is always important to remember because the deeper you get into God's Word, as you get hungry, you're going to run into some scriptures where you scratch your head and go, wow, man, I'm not sure what's going on there. So what do you do when you get to those times? Number one, always use repetition. And what I mean by that is never just read a scripture once and set it down. Read it again and again and again. And one of the things that I always encourage is, is sometimes just get out even a different translation. Maybe it's something that's a little bit easier to understand and read it again and again. Look for uh, the repetition. Also look in repetition about repeated words. For example... And when you read the Sermon on the Mountain and said, blessed is, blessed is, okay, got a feeling that's probably important. You got to be blessed if you do this, okay? Second thing is it's huge is to consider the big picture. And what I mean by that is don't just read the Bible and walk away. Do whatever it takes to get deeper into it. That's why I am so encouraged how many of you uh, picked up the soap journals, and the reason I love that is that you're not just reading the Scripture, you're observing what it says, and then most importantly, you're applying it. That makes all the difference. If you read something, but you never apply it, it doesn't do any good. 
But if you actually take God's word and read it like, God, teach me today, and I want to live your way. And then this is an important one, and I, I think this came about honestly, and I didn't even realize that when I was a kid, but it was watching my mom. And uh, my mom uh, was always writing in her Bible. Now, I know some folks don't think you should write in your Bible. Uh, take it up with my mom. And she would have all these notes, and then I noticed mom would put highlight. You probably wonder why I'm addicted to highlighters. My mom would highlight things. And I realized over the years that that was my mom's just constantly pouring over the word, and she would write little notes in her Bible. Sometimes she'd even write dates. And I've seen people do that. Like, on this day, God taught me this. And folks, then years later, when you pour over that Bible, I'm telling you, it, it tells the story. It tells your story connecting to God's word. Uh, Habakkuk 2.2 says, And then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. Don't you love that? Write it down. You ever been with somebody, like you have an important meeting, and they're kind of look like they're not even focused. They're kind of looking around. And finally, you're like, write it down. You ever, I know you've never said that, but I've actually said that like, listen, you must have a photographic memory. But if you don't, write it down. And I think that is important. And then the big one is be patient with the process. You may read a text today, and you're puzzled about it. But there's a process. And one way that I think is so important in the process is talk to other people. That's why it's important to get involved in life groups and Bible study groups so that as you get to these tough scriptures, you can actually, with one another, share with one another. And you grow so much. I talked about how much I'm getting out of Wednesday night. Um, and I just love to hear the depth of the conversations. It's huge. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take this tough scripture. And I want you to focus on these three words, motivation, hypocrisy, consequences. So you can already tell it's a feel-good message. So anyway, I want you to say these words with me. Motivation. Boy, <laughs> we're not very motivated. Okay, here we go. Number one, motivation, hypocrisy, consequences. Motivation. Let's talk about what in the world we mean by motivation. In order for this story to come to life, you really have to back up a few verses to chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up, and um, I want you to look at starting in verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that there was any of their own possessions that were their own. They shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there was no needy persons among them. For the time to come to those who owned the land or houses, sold them. And then they brought the money from the sales. They put it at the disciples, or excuse me, the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyrus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Sold a field he owned, he brought the money, and he put it at the disciples' feet. Now, why is that important? Because you're seeing somebody who has the right motive. And I'm just speculating here, but the fact that if you do a study uh, from this point forward and you look at Barnabas, and he's called the uh, son of encouragement, that's his whole life. He's always looking for a way to lift others up. And here's an opportunity. People are in need. So what's he do? Sells some land. 
takes the money, places it at the disciples' feet. Now, here's what I love. I really don't think he did that in a way that anybody knew what he was doing. You know, there's a scripture about don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. I think that's what's going on here. I don't think it was a, hey, look at me. You know, everybody, stop the music. I'm going to put some money at the, no, I don't think it was that way at all. I think genuinely he was so moved by the need. And there's just something about approaching life knowing that you're doing it with pure motives. Because don't we all know what it feels like when we do something with impure motives? And if you look over the last couple of weeks, there's probably been a time or two where you did something and in the back of your mind you're like, I didn't really do that for the right reason. Okay? That's an important question to always ask ourselves is, am I approaching this situation with the right motives? You know how, why we know right motives are important? Because we've all been the, on the other side of impure motives. Raise your hand if you've ever been there. Raise your hand if the person next to you. No, I don't do that. No, I, but, but here's, here's a big deal. Uh, we, we don't forget those times. Sometimes it's minor, but sometimes it's like it leaves a mark like, oh, yeah, I remember. So I was in high school. I'm going to call her Debbie Downer, okay? Her name actually was Debbie, but, you know, this message goes all over the world. So anyway, Debbie Downer, when I was in high school, uh, went to the same school my whole, you know, career, life, and so did Debbie Downer. But in my senior year, I was blessed to have Debbie sit by me at least two classes for the entire senior year. It wasn't that grand. So anyway, Debbie's there being her joyful Debbie Downer self. And it's just, wah, wah, wah. It's just every day, you know. And needless to say, we got on each other's nerves. And I remember one day, um, I think I had pencils playing Freebird. I can't remember what the song and, uh, and she reached over, grabbed a pencil, snapped it in half. And I thought... I don't like you, Debbie Downer. So anyway, this went on the whole year. Uh, and there was this one period of time in the year for about three or four days, she was really nice. Nice to the people all around her. And she was actually nice to me. I'm like, what's, what's, what's wrong with Debbie Downer? She must have found Jesus. Because nobody could change Debbie Downer other than And she's like, hey, John, I've never asked you, you know, uh, I know you live in Glen Carbon. Oh, well, you know, she was just talking about where I grew up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, oh, that's weird. And then came the question. She leaned over. She said, hey, John, you know what tomorrow is? It's Tuesday, Debbie Downer. And so I said, yeah, it's Tuesday. She said, no, no, no. Tomorrow's the big election, student council. And I'm running for president. And I thought, <laughs> I'm not voting for you, Debbie Downer. I mean, and then the very next day, guess what? She's back to normal. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. We've all been there, haven't we? We're, we've had a relationship with somebody, or there's somebody that's in our life, and whatever the motive is, you, you, you grow to the point, you're like, that was an impure motive. And you think how much that hurts us. Well, if we're doing that, think of the people that we're hurting. And that is exactly what we need to know going into this scripture today. Motives. Look at Acts chapter 5, and that leads us to our second word, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Starting at verse 1, and now there was uh, a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira. Also, they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it, and he put it at the apostles' feet. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept some of it for yourself that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to who? God. But just let this sink in a little bit. Here's the first thing we need to know is that in this story is that Ananias was not required to sell the land and then give the money for the needy. That's what Peter was saying. You didn't have to do anything with the money. You can do whatever you wanted. But the fact that you brought this money and that you actually took money out, that you're lying about it, you got to know, I can look straight into your heart and know exactly what you're doing. And you are not sinning against other people. You are sinning against God. Here's what one commentator said. It was interesting. He says, um, Ananias and Sapphira were functioning as members of the Roman proctor system, which means they pretended to be other people in order to gain an advantage, and this was an easy way to get in this new group, these Christians, on the cheap in order to live a lie and then eventually what? Take money from them. And Peter like, we're not going to do that today. We're not going to do that today. There's no need walking in here and lying and actually pretending to be somebody else. That's what it means. A hypocrite actually means... It's a uh, theatrical term means putting on a mask. You ever put on a mask? <laughs> See, now you got it. First service, really slow. Yeah, really slow. They're like looking around. And, but we do this all the time, if you think about it. We put on a mask. Long before COVID, uh, it's easy to put on a mask, to be one person here and to be a totally different person somewhere else. And that's the one thing in life we should always be striving is I don't want to be a different person all the time. I don't want to be a chameleon. I really don't want to be wearing a mask. Uh, maybe this is God's way of doing that to all of us for the last six or seven months. Don't you hate these masks? Can I have an amen? amen. Yeah, that's God talking all. Yeah, yeah. And God's, I think, trying to say, hey, there's another mask, and I don't like that one either. And he doesn't want us to walk around being something else. Matter of fact, the fastest growing religious group right now, this is interesting, is a group called the Nuns, N-O-N-E, the Nuns. And here's who the Nuns are. Uh, the Nuns are the folks who, whenever there's a survey and it says, uh, write in your religious tradition, and you know what they're writing in? None. That is up to 23% of our population. There's a lot of folks saying, I want nothing to do with the church. So then there was a group called the Pew Research. And so they went in and they surveyed just countless people who said, I want nothing to do with the church. Why do you want nothing to do with the church? Right at the top of the list, anybody want to guess? Hypocrisy. And here's how they defined it. Too many Christians doing unchristian things. Wow. And that hurts us, and it should hurt us. A minister from years ago named Ray Stedman said this, the moment that we start pretending to be what we really are not, death 
enters in. God doesn't want us to live two lives. He doesn't need and he doesn't want hypocrisy. And it's serious business. And he actually says, doesn't he, uh, when you do this, you're not just hurting people. Ultimately, you're hurting God. You're sinning against God. We always need to do a gut check with our motives, and we need to realize hypocrisy is real, and it can be devastating, which leads me to our third word. Matter of fact, I want to show you a little Christmas idea you might have uh, coming up. You can get a certificate of hypocrisy, either for yourself or give it to some friends. But anyway, um, there are times in life, uh, wouldn't that be accurate if we hung that on our walls? Aren't there days when at the end of the day we can say, you know what, Lord, I was a hypocrite today. I said I was this, and I acted this way. I was very cheery in church and very loving, and then I just treated the waitress like a jerk. That's hypocrisy. And so we need to realize it's real. And here's the next thing that's real. It's our third word, and that is consequences. We don't like to talk about it, but there are consequences for our actions. Matter of fact, the story just gets more cheery if you pick it up in verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down. That's not fine. He fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what happened. Sometimes you have to pause when you're reading Scripture and go, I bet. I mean, can you imagine right after Tracy gave the communion, he dropped dead? That's a crowd breaker. Okay, so, and then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Man, think about that. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Okay, let's pray and go home. Good job. Now, here's what we need to do when you get to a scripture like this. And you get to these really difficult scriptures. Uh, there are some things that can help us along the way. And when you get to a scripture, especially scriptures that have anything to do with God's anger or wrath or judgment, we need to come to the realization that, first of all, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 is a scripture you should read over and over again. Because there are times we're like, I want to figure this out. And there are times, guess what? Our thoughts are not God's thoughts, okay? Second of all, when you read this, we talked about motives, is God's discipline and anger, wrath, and judgment are always just, always. You can never read through the Bible and go, I wouldn't have done it that way. Frankly, God doesn't care. I don't mean that bad. He doesn't care. But we need to trust God and God's judgment, uh, George Costanza, that great theologian from Seinfeld, said, 
It's not a lie if you believe it. You ever live that way? They're not lie. If I, no, there are lies, and that is one of them, is that, you know, I, I want to write my own Bible. I don't want to read about God's anger. As a matter of fact, I've heard people, uh, this is always kind of, I shared this a couple weeks ago, and it does drive me crazy, is um, people, they'll talk about, they, everybody wants to talk about God's love, and trust me, we need to talk about God's love. And God's mercy and God's grace. And they'll say something like this, you know, uh, our church is a New Testament church. That's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We just want to cut half of the Bible out. We're a New Testament church. Uh, when I was in college years ago, they used to always say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament points you to the cross of Jesus. You've got to have the Old Testament. But you know why people don't want to read the Old Testament? They don't want to hear about judgment. And this is the other one that cracks me up. I love the New Testament because there's no judgment in the New Testament. Really? Did you skip the book of Acts? Did you skip Romans? And did you just forget Revelation existed? I mean, sometimes God gets ticked off. And, and this is an interesting thing is when we talk about fear of the Lord, um, and I know everybody's not going to agree with me. I think it's twofold. I really do. I think the first part of the fear is reverence. I fear the Lord because I have reverence for the Lord. But I also believe God wants us to actually fear our consequences. He wants us to feel it in our heart and in our gut. And when we sin, and there's real, he wants us to feel it. Now, you may not feel that way. You may feel like, no, no, no. God of love does not want us to fear him. And I got to be honest, I think he does. Uh, anybody here have parents? Yeah. Okay. Remember those? We used to laugh about those church directory pictures. Remember those? Everybody's smiling and, you know, and then you look at that picture and you laugh because you're like, oh, man, we had a brutal fight right before we took the picture. We got in a fight right after the picture. And sometimes, especially when I grew up, uh, my mom had powder white hair from the time I was, like, in grade school. She looked like... The, the lady on the Smucker's jelly jar. I mean, she just had this soap. And, you know, people, oh, your mom is so sweet. I'm like, oh, yeah, you've seen one side of my mom. I've seen this other side. She is small, but honestly, there are days she could kill me. I mean, I, and I know that. Some of you have seen that look in your parents' eyes. Now, guess what? You respect them. Am I right? Raise your hand. Did you ever fear them? Yeah. yeah. Was that a good thing? Yes. Yes, it's a good thing. So I want you to know part of God's judgment is he loves us so much he does discipline us. And he loves us so much, he says that his spirit sometimes convicts us. Like you, you are living uh, like a hypocrite right now. Are you, your motives are impure. God needs to work us over that way. I want to close with, um, and this is probably, the, again, this is the most extreme form of God's judgment but um, I think it's sad because in, I think sometimes in our culture, we've moved so far away from this, we don't even want to hear this. But um, a few years ago, there was a book um, by Rob Bell. And there was a few years ago, Rob Bell wrote Velvet Elvis. It was very, very popular. And he wrote a book called uh, Love Wins. Now, that book basically was eliminating the principle of hell. He did, he said, after I've studied the scriptures, I've come to the conclusion, because God is love, there is no hell. So well, that caused quite a uproar. And so uh, Francis Chan waited a little while, and God 
wouldn't let him go. So he sat down with a friend, and he said, uh, I'm going to call Rob Bell, let him know that I appreciate what he does, but I can't take that view. So he wrote a counter book, and he said, I'm going to be writing a book just to let you know. It's kind of as a rebuttal. And I love the title. It's Erasing Hell. And it's a great book to read, I want to tell you. And what he basically says is, if we're honest, we all would love to take out a pencil, and we wish we had the power, and go in and erase the scriptures that don't make us feel good. And that's right at the top. Oh, hell? No. Not hell, no. But hell? <laughs> no. Cut. Cut. But I want you to think about how we all are caught in that trap. Like, if we're not careful, we want to go in and we want to just erase the things that, that, that don't make us feel warm and fuzzy. And I think we need to come to the realization that if heaven is real, guess what? So is hell. So when you talk about judgment, I want you to listen to this quote by Francis Chan. He said, hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of the cross. It brings it to light, the enormity of our sin, and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. In other words, judgment, God's judgment, uh, should not make us want to run away from God. It makes us run to God. And the closer we run to God in full color, we realize how much he loves us, and he loves everybody here. Matter of fact, if you were to read later on in that text, um, it's interesting in verses 13 and 14, what we find out is that the church hit a pause button, said, and many of the, basically, the, many of the unbelievers um, were confused by what was going on. Well, people are dying in there. I mean, think about it. The, the, the buzz of, man, you, you can't believe what just happened. And so I would say there was a pause. And then all of a sudden, it's interesting, that very next verse, it says, and then the church just started exploding growth again. God's spirit kept moving. So I thought about what we're going through right now. This is a pause. There's no doubt with everything going on with COVID and everybody's lives have been turned upside down, this is a pause. And it would be easy for the church to say, are we ever going to get through this? Yeah, we're going to get through it. Just like the early church will get through. This is a pause. But it's what's on the other side. I think God's got amazing plans for us. And really, it all starts with our motives. That everything we do, we want to do for the right reason. That we don't want to be a different person here than we are when we walk out these doors. We don't want to do that. And we want to take God very seriously everything he says, because we know, we know God loves us, that there are consequences for our sin. There are consequences for when we do things that break God's heart. But here's the great news. There are consequences when you do it God's way. That's the amazing truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege it is to, to be here uh, to worship you. And every Sunday when we come here, I mean, we know it's not because of a building. And this is not our building. Uh, it's because of you. It's the people that are in the building. That's the church. So, Lord, be with us. This is hard in life, that our motives are right, uh, that we are not hypocrites. And, Lord, that we're motivated by your love. 
Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.